This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for online creatives with me, Sarah Tasker. This is episode 10. Sass Petherick is a coach who I first met a couple of years back through Instagram. She works in her own words to help women come home to themselves overcoming self-doubt, self-criticism and the unhelpful patterns that might be holding some of us back. In fact, I'm currently working with her personally to unstick some of my never-ending issues with self-doubt, which is how I knew I had to get her on the podcast to share more of her messages and her work with all of you because I think it's really going to resonate. So grab a cup of tea and maybe a notebook because you're in for a real treat today. Hello, is that Sass Petherick, super superstar coach? (laughs) Sure is. (laughs) This is fun. It is fun. Thank you for talking to me today. I'm kind of delighted to be here, to be honest, Sarah. It's it's very fun. I'm a huge fan of your podcast, so I feel like I've been invited into the Cool Kids Club, which is lovely. Well, you were always in the Cool Kids Club to start with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's start by introducing you. Can you kind of sum up what it is you do for anyone who doesn't already know? Sure, sure. So I'm Sass Petherick. I'm originally from New Zealand, but I've lived in the UK for about 16 years. I'm a coach. Uh, I work with women who are experiencing the joys of self-doubt. And some of them are leaders and some of them are mums and creatives. Uh, And I also work with uh, coaches who are setting up their own practice. Uh, So I mentor other coaches as well. Uh, And I've, um, for selfish reasons, I'm a bit of an extrovert. So I've set up some live experiences as well. So I run workshops, uh, one workshop called Write Yourself Home, which is a one day workshop. And I also lead retreats uh, in the countryside in autumn, which is lots of fun. Sounds glorious. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I can't quite believe this is my life sometimes. I think I can relate to that. I imagine a lot of people can relate to that. But then maybe that's the self-doubt. Yeah, totally. Always. (laughs) So even you have self-doubt. Oh, completely. Yeah. Why are we all plagued by it? Well, it's an excellent question because often we're like, just how do we get around it? Mm. And I think asking what it's here to do is can sometimes start to just uncover the very important role that I think self-doubt plays. So as humans, we're wired for two primary things, creativity and connection. So we're not the smartest, fastest or fiercest people on the planet or creatures on the planet. But we do have the most sophisticated levels of socialization and we're able to solve complex problems. So creativity and connection is kind of key to our survival. But that also means that whenever we even imagine doing anything that contains a small risk of rejection, disappointment, this triggers the part of our brain called the amygdala. Um, And some people call this the lizard brain because it's the sort of oldest part of us Mm. from an evolutionary standpoint. And it manages our flight, fight or flee response. And the amygdala is associated with processing memories, decision-making and emotional responses. So it's kind of the risk manager that's built into us. Uh, but the thing is, it's not very sophisticated. It, it can't tell the difference between a physical risk, like don't jump off that cliff, and a psychological risk. So when we experience self-doubt, it's our amygdala, that lizard part of our brain saying, warning, warning, something, something's at risk. Yeah, yeah. 
And this can be anything, like from deciding whether to say hello to a new mum at the school gate that you don't know (laughs) and risking rejection, um, to something like deciding whether to post something on Instagram when you've already posted earlier that day. (laughs) (laughs) That is terrifying. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we have these like innate need to connect and to create and we also have this inbuilt risk manager that's alert to anything that can harm us and I think that can help us to sort of see that actually our self-doubt is always looking out for us it's kind of the protector part of our psyche and you know it's actually I think when we can start to see that it's trying to help us it's just not doing it in a particularly sophisticated way that can help us to start to see why it keeps showing up all the time. It just makes a lot of sense. There is, a, have you read The Psychopath Test by John Ronson? I haven't, but I was just going to say, that's the good news, is that the only people who don't have any self-doubt are sociopaths. You will love the book. Everyone should read the book, actually, because it is, it's kind of oddly lighthearted, given the subject matter. Um, and he, when he just talks about the amygdala, the example that always sticks with me is he says, imagine you're walking down the hall in your house and somebody jumps out at you and you suddenly freak out and panic. And then a split second later, you realise it's your wife and she's just playing a trick. But your amygdala is already firing because that thinks there's a threat whilst your rational brain is a little bit slower in catching up and realizing that the threat is fine. And kind of both of those thoughts occur at the same time. That is such a perfect example of how it works. Yeah, love it. Love John Ronson stuff. Yeah, well, I feel like my rational brain is more than a split second behind a lot of the time. Well, and I think that's the thing is that protector part of us is always sort of one step ahead. Yes. Because that's its job. That's how it keeps us safe. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense. It just feels like a bit of a design flaw. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what do we do about that? Well, one of the things I've found through my work in researching self-doubt and in in coaching people through it is that how self-doubt manifests in us is really unique to each person. So um, the fancy word for that is that it's a phenomenological experience. Nice. And that is just that it's very personal and it's quite dynamic. So it might change how you experience it from time to time. And it's the combination of it that presents within you is quite unique to you. So you might hear like a critical voice in your head or just have a sense of dread or doom. It might feel like physical sensations, sometimes constriction, or I always feel like a heavy weight in my belly. And you might also see images in your mind, like memories or, you know, predicting the worst case scenario future. So, and it can also be a combo deal. Some people get a combo deal, which is Mm. awesome. (laughs) So, and that's just our protector rocking up saying, hey, this warning, it's like this, that experience of self-doubt is is the trigger. It's just warning us that something feels really crappy, but it's warning us that something is at risk. And I suppose there was a time where we were all apes in trees or whatever people choose to believe about that, where this was actually an advantage. People who with more self-doubt and more amygdala response will have been better at keeping their young safe and better at keeping the home safe completely so it's kind of a superpower it can be it i've found that it has turned into one of mine oh. there's a bit of a process sometimes to get there <laughs> which we can talk about um but you'll see this also if you have pets like cats or dogs have you know that 
you know, cats will often kind of go up on four on four paws, or their tails will go up, mm. their backs will arch, they puff their tails out, look a bit ridiculous. But that's their kind of amygdala response. And then they go, oh no, it's just someone coming through the front door. I'm good, and they immediately <laughs> relax. Yeah. Well, and the thing the thing about that is that um, cats don't have a story going on in their head <laughs> about, oh, is that person coming through the front door going to like me? You know, <laughs> have, have they decided they, they um, didn't enjoy themselves last time they were here? Like, they don't have that. So as soon as they recognize the person, they go immediately back to kind of normal state. Their threats are a lot a lot simpler than ours. They're, they are. They really are. Yeah. And And that's the thing is that, we humans have this fantastic ability, um, our imagination, right, which was hardwired into us so that we can connect with other people, so that we can create um, and solve complex problems. And our imagination can also mean that we're really good at telling ourselves crappy stories. Mm -hmm. And so most people actually know they're experiencing self-doubt because of how they resist the discomfort that it creates. So all those, that phenomenological experience of self-doubt, when that presents, most of us then have a similar kind of matching style of resistance. And that's about trying to move around that feeling of discomfort. So for me, that shows up as procrastination. Mm -hmm. And I am a true procrastinator. There's nothing amateurish about my procrastination. I would not have guessed that. I would have thought you were someone who had no issues at all with procrastination. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just really good at hiding it now. <laughs> um, but no, I, I am. And, I, and I've actually found that um, I'm on to myself now. Like I recognize when that's showing up that I'm kind of avoiding something, some sort of discomfort or risk that I'm not okay with. And, and actually procrastination can be really productive, but it's actually nothing to do with the thing we want to achieve in the first place. Yes. That's presenting the risk. But for other people, it can be things like perfectionism, like where they're waiting until it's perfect before they start, mm -hmm. or they'll go ahead and create something, but then they're always finding fault with it. And we can also do another one of my favorites, pass, kind of passive behaviors, eating, drinking, shopping, scrolling, box sets, you know, those, <laughs> those fun ways of just going, oh, everything is much nicer now because, you know, I'm catching up on a Sky Atlantic box set. <laughs> oh my gosh, I think I do all of these things. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. It's good. We're not sociopaths. It's a good thing. Okay, yeah, that's good. We got to cling to that. <laughs> so, when you say that the only people who don't are sociopaths, does that mean literally everybody else is experiencing a degree of self doubt? Because I'm sure other people must think this. I look at some people and I think they don't. They're fine. You know, it's so interesting because I think that uh, we're really good at not talking about it. Yes. And I think that's because we can get locked into this sort of cycle of self-doubt where we seem to be the ones that are preventing ourselves from having the things we want. And it can be really simple things. And I think that leads to a disappointment. Sometimes we just feel really ashamed of ourselves, like, Christ, I should know better by now. <laughs> um, and I, you know, for me personally, and particularly, you know, I work with a lot of women who are in really quite, you know, important leadership roles. And it's heartbreaking to think about all of their self-doubt and what that's actually preventing them from doing. So I think for women particularly, I mean, part of my sort of big mission, although my, my work is about working mostly with one-to-one and -one small groups, my big mission is, you know, I'm, I'm here to try and help particularly women understand that you can get to the other side of this. You don't have to keep this procrastination, perfectionism, 
all the passive stuff, proving yourself. Like a lot of really high achieving people are working super hard, but they never get to enjoy that success or the process of it because they're waiting to be found out. Um, and that that can sometimes tip into what's called imposter complex or imposter syndrome, which some people will be aware of. Yeah, it's, that's kind of had a, a fair amount of publicity lately as a concept, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. And there was some fantastic research done in the late 70s with uh, the, the, the two researchers, Clance and Eames, who did the original imposter complex research to, to kind of uncover this. They did their research with over 100 women, academics and leaders. And so it kind of got attached to women as being a woman's mm. thing. But more research has been done since, and it, there's no there's no gender um, correlation at all. Oh. In fact, men who are in leadership roles are even some studies have found they're even more likely to doubt themselves. But they are they often um, kind of fall into a sort of hyper masculine, you know, the kind of alpha male dudes that rock up mm. and are a little bit ridiculous. Um, <laughs> But they are often kind of um, overcompensating for for that imposter complex for being found out. That's interesting. So it's a it's a human response. That is not something that's that is sociologically put into us by society. It's completely human. As humans inclined to feel like that imposter syndrome. We should probably talk about what imposter syndrome is for anyone who hasn't come across that before. Yeah, so imposter syndrome or imposter complex is, it's really, it just feels like you're a fraud. Like someone is going to find you out, find out that actually you're not as smart or as talented or you don't deserve your success or any success you've had can be attributed to luck. I know so many people who feel this way. I think especially in this this industry that I'm in where a lot of the time people are self-taught and they've kind of not taken a very direct path. They've sort of stumbled and tried different things and come to where they are. So that can feel really like you're not qualified to do what you do mm-hmm. because you haven't got the degree or you haven't studied it for X many years. You've just kind of found your own way there. So I see that a lot in people I work with. Absolutely. And it's horrible, right? That feeling, that kind of low level anxiety that at some point someone's going to pull back the curtain. Yes. And you don't believe in yourself. And then every time an opportunity comes along, instead of celebrating and thinking, hooray, I get to show what I can do. You're thinking, is this, is this the time they're going to find me out? Absolutely. It kind of raises the bar even further, right? Now there's more to find out. Yeah, more people can find me out. Well, and and the thing is that, you know, all of this means, and wherever you are, so if you think about the spectrum of self-doubt from sociopath to full-on imposter complex, most of us sit kind of somewhere in the middle with, you know, we might head towards feeling like an imposter when we have big moments where we're we're kind of feeling a bit visible, and visibility can be a really big um, trigger for our for our amygdala because it's you know there's more risk, there's more vulnerability, the more people who are looking at you. So so most of us kind of fit on that sort of upper end of of um, of the spectrum. Um, and the only conclusion we can draw from that is that our protectors, those those amyg- the amygdala uh, part of us, is doing a really excellent job. 
It's the only thing that means. So it doesn't mean it's factually accurate or true. Far from it. In fact, you only have to look at, um, and I'm, I've just been writing my newsletter this month and talking about self-doubt and looking for some quotes and uh, just to sort of pepper through it. And you only have to look at, like writers particularly are excellent at talking about self-doubt. Mm. Athletes, um, anyone who has reached a kind of peak performance in their particular flavor of, of their talent um, we'll talk about self-doubt. So if the best of our species are talking about self-doubt, then you know that that sort of tells us something about you know how this presents, that it's a it's kind of a universal experience and it has absolutely no correlation to the level of talent you have or to your achievements either then exactly because I do I think a lot of people assume that a certain amount of validation a certain amount of achievement will make it go away you think if I can just get this then I'll know or if I can just reach this milestone and then you reach that milestone and nothing changes yeah in some in some instances it can get worse yes yeah yeah, so then it's like, what the hell do I do? Yeah. <laughs> so what do we do about it? Okay, so I think that this forum is a fantastic start point for anyone who is listening. Just talking about self-doubt and our experience of it can be a huge relief because what I found is everyone just goes, yep, me too. Yes. Um, and I think there's some real comfort in finding that you're not alone in this. One of the things I loved about your interview with Hannah last week is that, you know, she said there was, there's so much courage that it takes to be creative. And I think it takes absolute courage to to talk about your self-doubt, how your creative process really works, rather than perhaps the end result that other people see. And just having these forums where we can start to see that actually this is a universal experience. Um, and in my, in my former life, I worked as a management consultant with you know, people that you would think there's no way they would experience self-doubt. They just never talked about it. They kind of were really good at putting on the mask of confidence and just kind of faking it till they made it. Um, and I'm talking about like Nobel Prize winning scientists who you just <laughs> think behind the scenes, it's all a bit chaos. But the public face is totally got the sorted love. Everyone relax. And I found that really interesting that actually whoever we are and whatever our job is, we are all kind of in this together. Why are we all lent to do this, to put this facade up? Well, I think that's part of what our protector does is it's kind of like nobody speaks and nobody gets hurt. Yeah. You know, and there's, there is, I think particularly for men, there is a kind of uh, lack of safety for being able to talk about this stuff. Yes. I think women, and, and I hesitate to generalise, but I do think we as women are much better at just having these conversations and starting to just tell the truth about our vulnerability and, you know, our, our kind of lack of confidence sometimes. And that can feel quite dangerous, particularly if you are in an industry where you're working with a lot of men who are these, you know, hyper bravado types. Mm. And you're feeling all the self-doubt, not knowing that all of this is going on underneath for them too. Yeah. And of course, women in industry, women having careers is still a relatively new thing. Yeah. And there being enough women together to have these conversations. So that makes sense that maybe we're still in the infancy of actually talking about this and dealing with it. Yes. Because it's yeah. been buried for so many generations. Completely, completely. And, you know, it wasn't too many generations ago where women were, you know, set on fire and stoned to death if they talked about anything that was a bit too 
close to the bone. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of in our, you know, Indigenous people will talk about seven generations of trauma. So it might be that actually we need a few more generations to get through this process of not talking about the things that, that scare us, as just in our experience of being human. I think as well, the other thing to recognise is that the internet is chock full of advice and mm. the kind of five easy steps to overcoming your resistance. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> seriously, just Google procrastination. You'll be inundated with ideas. You'll occupied for hours. I tweeted a link yesterday that was like 10 ways to overcome procrastination. I didn't even click the link. I just tweeted it to remind myself I procrastinated nice, nice. clicking it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, and sometimes, you know, we'll hear the right thing at the right moment and it can totally help to shift us into some sort of positive action and we feel good for a while and that's fantastic. But I think it's important to recognise that this is addressing the symptoms of self-doubt, not the cause of it. Mm -hmm. And there's actually very little chance, unfortunately, that you'll find the the magic answer to your complex and nuanced experience of self-doubt in someone's blog post. (laughs) In a list. In a listicle. (laughs) You know, with some nice little um, gifts in there, which are fun, but perhaps not that helpful. And, you know, we know from decades of research into child psychology and adult development, and, you know, that was part of my own master's dissertation was to look at, you know, how self-doubt, the experience of self-doubt impacts people who are in the coaching industry. Um, And we just know that the seeds of self-doubt are sown in childhood because that's where we get our blueprint for how to be a human. So... It's important to know that the causes of our self-doubt, the stories and beliefs that we carry into adulthood, were sown way back in our childhood uh, years and experiences. And we probably need to spend some time looking back at those formative experiences to really make sense of it. Now, not many of us really jump at the chance to pull back that curtain. (laughs) No, it's not easy work. Exactly. Well, and particularly if our childhoods were painful or traumatic and you know I have yet to meet a human who has had an Enid Blyton like childhood you know all of us have had moments of frustration or confusion Mm. because our little brains were trying to work out this big complex adult world and this is something I'm really aware of as a parent I'm sure lots of other parents are listening now and thinking I don't want to do this to my child I don't want to create this feeling in them Yeah. yeah um and that is one of the reasons I feel really like determined to try and manage my own self-doubt and one of the reasons I love working with you is because I want to to show all uh, what living with self-doubt looks like I guess mm-hmm. and, and how coping with that hopefully can seem. Mm. Well you know and Sarah as one of your your readers and your um, you know someone who is receiving the work and the, the the goodness that you put out into the world I think you you are leading the charge in and talking about the mess sometimes that's behind mm. the beautiful captured scene, which God, we need more beauty. Like I'm not, I'm not a fan of the whole let's let's post the the, the laundry and the dishes. <laughs> yeah. And moments of beauty are a fantastic way to to create something that is beautiful in a life that is going to be messy. Mm. I think the danger is that we just see those beautiful scenes, those those little squares, and we compare our insides, which are messy and imperfect and, and sometimes, you know, overcome with self-doubt. Um, we compare those insides with someone else's outsides. Yes, right? and it becomes another stick to beat ourselves with. Exactly, exactly. So, um, 
I think that's the thing is, you know, we can absolutely loosen the grip that self-doubt has on us and we can make peace with that protector part of our psyche and we can navigate towards, you know, just more experiences of self-belief and self-acceptance and self-trust. But I think the way to do this in a way that feels solid and um, is not just an intellectual exercise and reading something, but something that is experiential. So it feels like, oh, I know this to be true now. Mm. The waste is, is going into our doubt and understanding where it comes from and what it what it's actually made of. Having a real poke around in there. Digging deep. Digging deep, yeah. And it feels so counterintuitive, right? Because all we want to do is just avoid the pants off it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it is aces when you come out the other side. It really is. Because you start to see that actually there isn't really anything you can't do if, you know, given given our all of our own constraints and, and the circumstances of our of our world uh, and our particular family experience and all of that. But really, when we are freed from the bonds of self-doubt, we kind of face the thing that feels unfaceable and we just come out feeling more integrated, more solid. So I'm I'm a huge fan of getting into the muck and bullets of it and uh, and seeing what it's made of. So can you get us started on this process? Is that something we can do here and now? Absolutely, absolutely. So um there's three things that I that I kind of recommend we start to look at. Three easy steps, right? <laughs> here I am. <laughs> it's a listicle. <laughs> but this is the kind of thing that I um work with people in my in my coaching work. So the first thing is to Particularly if you have a kind of voice of doom in your head or a critical voice, it can sometimes feel like the the sort of voice of the lizard. Some people characterize it in that way, is to really kind of bring that voice out into the light. So it may be that it is actually a person you know. So often it is a parent or a sibling or a teacher or someone who kind of sowed one of those seeds of self-doubt. You can kind of hear the phraseology or the, the tone of their voice. Their voice has actually been kind of incorporated into your amygdala and that is what you're hearing. So get to know it. Like who is that voice? What is it saying to you? What does it expect from you? And what you often find is that this is just a case of a really crappy HR process, right? You've recruited <laughs> the worst qualified person you know to help you manage your self-doubt so just understanding you know are any of the things that it's actually saying to you true or are they is it just like having a mean girl in your in your mind all the time and is there a, yeah are they qualified to have that opinion I suppose because yeah because if they're not who you're doing the work for they're not who you're living for and creating for then why is it them that you get to listen to over everybody else? Exactly, exactly. And and you just need to fire their ass. <laughs> you know, and you know, I really recommend actually writing an, a letter that you're never going to send to them. This is something we've talked about, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And and it's it's just a way of acknowledging to yourself that you don't believe them anymore and you can put it on paper it takes it kind of out of your mind symbolically and puts it on it onto a page where you can sort of take it out of yourself if you like 
I'm a big believer in the power of that anyway, in writing it, writing stuff out of your head. It's very cathartic. It really is. And you can say whatever the heck you want. Yes, you can have password protected uh, entries on your notes, by the way, everybody, on your phone and on your desktop. <laughs> if that makes you feel safer, that's how I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just put it on a piece of paper, like write it on a piece of paper and then burn it. Yeah, yeah. shred it. And, and it's kind of a, it's cathartic. It also allows you to experience the emotions that come with all this stuff because there is often real hurt and sadness and confusion around why this person who is usually a loved one is being so bloody horrible to you. And it's a projection of them, right? It's not yeah. actually them. They may have said those things once upon a time, but then our imagination gets hold of it and turns it into a big monster. Yes. So shining a light on that can be can be really cathartic. And the thing is that you're then left with a kind of vacancy, <laughs> Right? So, so you fired this person from this job and you're left with this hole and it's really easy for them to slip back in there because that's probably been a default way that you have managed those risks of vulnerability. It's like this voice comes in to help you do that. So you need to replace that voice with someone who represents encouragement and love and support. And that could be a family member who is really supportive of you. It could be uh, uh, someone who you admire, like a mentor or a, a well-known person or someone who you just work with or has been a really lovely support for you is you can bring a projection of them into your mind. I'm laughing here because I'm not going to say who who we recruited in my mind, but I think people who know me quite well might be able to stab a guess. <laughs> at... Well, I just am loving that you have a built-in lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> Talk yeah. about keeping me safe. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic, you know. And it, and it's that's the thing, right? It brings some levity to what can be a really quite horrific experience I mean it's horrible what self-doubt can do to us and so to make this a little bit fun and to bring into your mind you know and, and I've, I think I was telling you in, in one of our sessions Sarah I worked with a person who's a leader of a quite a well-known organization her voice that she's recruited the protector she's recruited is a golden retriever from I her childhood that. I love it Right, because when is a golden retriever ever going to say anything mean to you? That is true unconditional affection. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I think doing that, like really getting to know that that mean voice in your mind and, you know, replacing that with something that feels supportive and loving and building a conversation with that in your mind. Um, I like to do that when I go on drives. Like if I'm driving on my own, I'll sometimes, you know, just sort of let that, supportive happy encouraging loving voice just sort of take the lead and you know like tell me something nice about me <laughs> you know and it's good fun right it's yeah, it's kind of that cool. I think I feel like that's a conversation I've never had with anyone inside my head I've, yeah. I've had plenty of tell me all the awful things about me but yeah. never tell me the good things yeah and you know I I always sort of think about little sass right the little sort of six-year-old me yeah who first experienced that kind of feeling of not being good enough not being welcome and you know she was such a cute little kid you know yeah. and she just wanted to be loved and liked and she just wasn't very good at navigating people that didn't want that you know yeah and I think you know if we could talk to ourselves the way we would talk to a six-year-old we know and love everything would probably be a bit kinder yes Absolutely. So that so that's something to do. Um, the other thing I would recommend people do is to have a little look at 
how your self-doubt is working for you, which can sound really counterintuitive, but remember it's there to protect you from something. So what is the risk that it might be protecting you from? And if you took that away, if you took that protection away, what kind of fears or worries come up for you? And again, it's a case of looking at, you know, are these sort of like worst case scenarios where you end up kind of smelling of cat wee and living under a bridge, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which is always where mine goes. So, you know, that's kind of where my one goes, but it might not be for you. Um, But, but is that, is that actually a true fear or a worry or is it, is it something that again is is protecting you from something? So, just by looking at how is that how is that working for you? What is it helping you to avoid? Can be really helpful because then you start to see oh well, actually that's probably unlikely. Yeah. If I post more than one Instagram in a day, it's unlikely that everybody is going to unfollow me and go what the hell was she thinking? Yeah. And my career will go down the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> that's just probably not going to happen. Yeah. But at the time when you're hovering over the publish button, the share button, you know, and that voice comes in, it can feel like that, right? Yeah. Everyone is going to think what? And we never follow that train of thought to its really irrational ending. No, we just shut the phone down and yeah. 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 So so I think it's it's um, it's useful to just look at you know how is this actually working for you because you know we're all smart women right we are not idiots <laughs> and we are living you know complex nuanced sophisticated lives where we've got a shit ton of responsibility lots of people counting on us we're not stupid these things are here for a damn good reason and actually when you start to look at okay what might that reason be rather than just avoiding it what might that reason be it starts to you know again just loosen that grip is there a danger of having too little self-doubt does that ever happen as a consequence I think that what tends to happen and, and so I would say um, over the last sort of six five six years this has been like my life's work is is both making peace with my own self-doubt and um, creating a life that felt frightening to to create mm. but I deeply wanted and I've what I found is that the self-doubt doesn't it doesn't go away but it it's not in the driver's seat yes so my self-belief is kind of in the driver's seat now and self-doubt's in the in the boot and every now and then it pops up going hang on a second we've taken a really wrong turn <laughs> you know and then it becomes a, a more of a negotiation it becomes a okay what am I actually a little bit scared of or what risk is this protecting me from you know do I need to kind of have a little look at this and what I found is that it can be a, a really great ally your self-doubt yeah. can be a fantastic ally because sometimes you you know you are in danger of being rejected by somebody or keeping someone happy who couldn't give a toss yeah um we are always going to be in this kind of complex world of relationships and communicating and we're going to be creating things that sometimes aren't received well right that's that's part of the process but it's what we make that mean and how we choose to then act as a, as a result of that that's where having a really kind of solid sense of self-belief can really help and presumably our rational brains they calculate risk as well so it's turning down the monitor on the self-doubt yes 
doesn't mean that we're no longer making logical, balanced decisions, I guess is my question. Yeah, I, I think what, what I've found, and certainly with the, the clients I work with, is that you start to, it starts to just become a bit more of an equilibrium mm. where, you know, oh, okay, right, yeah, I can see that I'm feeling some doubt here around this, but actually this is the thing I want and I understand why and um, I also understand the risk. So protector, you can, you've done your job, you've warned me of the risk and that's cool and here's all the things I'm going to do to to kind of mitigate that or to just tolerate it. Mm. So it becomes just a bit more balanced, a bit more integrated, a bit more solid and living from that place where there's a little bit of self-doubt but there's a, there's a lot more self-belief, that's where you kind of feel it, I call it like coming home to yourself you sort of just feel a bit more comfortable in who you are. Yeah, it sounds like a, a beautiful destination to get to. We're on our way, love. <laughs> <laughs> take me there, take me there. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the amount, I know myself, the amount of time and energy I expend on self-doubt and all of those strategies to manage self-doubt mm. and procrastinate and everything else, if I could use all of that time for the things I want instead, mm. my life would be a much happier place. Oh, it's bloody exhausting. Yes. It really is. And and it's just, I think it can be our greatest teacher, it, you know, and it's a great sign that we're, um, that we're on to something. When our self-doubt shows up, it's now, I, now I think, oh, I'm re- I really want this. Yeah. This really matters to me. That fear, that fear, I've, I've really learned that, that fear comes when it's something, something big's about to happen. Yeah. And it, and it can be your goad go juice you know it can be a little fuel like it's kind of I've found that I quite like the feeling of oh will this work or not you know there's a little bit of um adrenaline and excitement that comes with that I told I was telling you to think about this the book I'm reading by uh Tara Moa I'm not sure how you pronounce her second name M-O-H-R and yep. she was speaking about the two types of fear which comes from um the Hebrew Bible and there are two types of fear. One is the fear of something imaginary, like the monster under the bed, mm-hmm. or that you're going to die in a plane crash. And the other type of fear is the fear you feel when you are about to step into a bigger space, when you're about to do a public, a big public presentation, mm-hmm. or you're about to launch a product and you don't know if it's going to work. And they're not the same. And as soon as she said that, I thought, yeah, those, that's so true. I Instinctively, you recognize that those are two different feelings absolutely but we tend to clump it all together as fear and we hide from it and squirm away from it but actually that second type of fear is kind of excitement just with a different dress on absolutely I love that expression yeah (laughs) excitement with a different dress on it really is and and it's like unless we kind of understand you know the distinction and allow ourselves to kind of feel the feeling rather than zip straight into you know, Game of Thrones series one to six, (laughs) you know, it's like, unless you kind of go, oh, hang on a second, this is excitement fear. Mm. It's not monster under the bed fear. Then you, you, you don't, we don't allow ourselves that, um, that experience, which can be really quite thrilling. That's where our aliveness can come from. And, and the better I get at recognizing that second type of fear and leaning into it and kind of sticking with it, the more exciting things are happening in my business and in my life because you have to get through those barriers, don't you? That That's where the good stuff happens. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing. Like, you know, when you can you imagine if the you know, I was just thinking back to those examples earlier, like if the if the woman that is the mother at the school gate that you're like, oh, do I really want to say hello? She's new. What if she doesn't like me? Imagine if she's actually your future best pal. Yeah. You know, like imagine that. Imagine losing that. Just for the sake of that, that little wobble. Imagine the second image you post that day is the one that someone goes, oh, I want to use this in my ad campaign. Come yeah, work with the it. one that goes viral and gets 50,000 likes. Exactly. So this is the thing. I think when self-doubt's leading, we always think about the crappy thing that can happen, right? <laughs> Living under a bridge. We never think, actually, oh, this is the ticket to the penthouse. Never. Yeah. So we need to get better at telling ourselves both sides of that story, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's where that kind of balance comes in of oh, self-belief, which which isn't, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a British thing, which, you know, mm. as your colonial cousins in New Zealand also adopted, <laughs> you know, the kind of you know don't get too big for your boots yes who do you in think New you Zealand are? yeah exactly and in New Zealand it's called tall poppy syndrome like we just lop the heads off anyone who gets a bit too tall yep um it's and it's quite soul crushing it's quite full of, it's full of shame and ickiness mm-hmm. um but it also means we have an excellent bullshit detector right yeah. so anyone who's a bit too flash we, we, <laughs> yeah. we sort of know we can spot them at 100 paces so you know? true yeah but yeah. we're all secretly terrified that we are too flash as well yes and we never are no. i guess if you're worried about it you're probably fine i think that that's basically the the formula if you are worried about being too flash the chances are very very slim that you are which is in the psychopath test Again, John Ronson says, if you're reading it and worried that you're a psychopath, you're fine. You're not one because psychopaths would never worry. I'm I'm so going to read that book. (laughs) Um, Did we do number three? Uh, Right. So the third one is, uh, and here's where I do my self-promotion bit. Um, Look, you know, I, I kind of feel like there isn't a place where I knew when I was looking at this, there wasn't a place for me to go to work this stuff out. Mm. I ended up going to a therapist. And through my own research of of self-doubt and through um, exploring this with coaching clients, you know, I got my master's research published. Like, what? And I'm writing a book on how to cultivate self-belief. So all of my journey of self-doubt has kind of led to me feeling like I kind of know what this stuff's about. And so I'm just creating now, I'm just finishing up creating a a group coaching program called Your Self-Belief Map. And this is all about how to navigate through self-doubt. And it's if I'm so excited and full of doubt about it. <laughs> I so want it to be helpful to people. And I put my heart and soul in it. It's been kind of forming in my mind for the last year. Um, and now I'm just like, you know what? Get it out there. Yes. So, um, so if anyone wants a really safe, supportive, fun group program, won't be big class sizes. Will be It will be an online program. And... Um, it won't won't be really time consuming and it's not like read a whole lot of information it's about taking action and doing things that will actually help you to cultivate self-belief um then i would just love to support people on that where can we find it so if you head to my website sasspetherick.com backslash self-belief map you'll find all the details um and for listeners of hashtag authentic if you put in if you put into the appropriate spot the password 
Badger, which is the name of my cat, <laughs> um, you'll get a discount of 10%. Oh, amazing. So um, all the details are there. And look, I'm on, on the grams and I'm available to, to chat to anybody who is thinking about it. And all the details will be for how to contact me will be on there too. And you also, you write an amazing blog and your, is it weekly your newsletters or? It's monthly. It probably monthly. fits weekly. Yeah. <laughs> I get all of mine in like a roll up every two weeks all of my subscriptions so I, I have no no idea when they come but um like I can wholeheartedly recommend those as well to anybody listening like the reason I asked you to come on is because I think you're amazing I don't think you'll ever be living under a bridge smelling of wee because <laughs> what you do is so essential and I would like to carry you around in my pocket every day if that's possible, oh, please. Oh, that is the kindest thing. <laughs> well, I'm totally in the Mutual Appreciation Society here. So, um, yeah, bravo. Love yeah. it. Well, oh. thank you so much for talking to us today. And um, I think we'll probably have to have you back at some point to talk about more of this because I feel like this is so core for all of us. Absolutely. I, I'd be thrilled to come back. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Sarah. You will find show notes and links to everything we've talked about today at meandola.co.uk forward slash podcast 10. And I will also include our social media handles so you can jump on and let us know what you think and also ask any questions you might have to sass on Instagram. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag hashtag authentic and the same on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved that as much as I did and I look forward to next week.